bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacies. Live in Word with Pastor Mensah Otobiel. And now, today's word. I'm continuing my message, and this is part two of Watch What You Say. God's word is creative, and God's word is a command that when God speaks to man, man's word must affirm what God has said and claim the promises of God. God's word contains spiritual power. God's word creates the atmosphere for miracles. And God's word constructs our destiny. In the same way, our words also create atmosphere. The kinds of words you speak will create the atmosphere you live in. I can speak words to you today that can make you happy without touching anybody. I can also speak words to you that will make you sad. I can speak a word to you that will make you angry. I can speak a word to you that will make you get out from this church and walk out here in anger. And I can also speak a word that will bring tears into your eyes or laughter to your mouth. Words create atmosphere. And the words you speak every day out of your mouth, which your own ear hears, which enters your heart, creates the atmosphere of your life. And so it's important as we speak to know that we are not just issuing information out of our mouths, but we are also creating an atmosphere. Words will construct your destiny. You will get to where you say you will get to. If you say it will, it will. If you say it won't, it won't. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13. And 14. Proverbs 12, 13, 14. It says, The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. A man will be satisfied with the good of the fruit of his mouth. And the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. Your words can snare you. Your words can trap you. Your words can be a trap for you. The wicked is ensnared by the words of his lips. I like how the Bible puts it. It says the transgression of his lips. Now when it says the transgression of his lips, it's not just talking about your lips as they are, but the words that come out from your mouth. The transgression to transgress is to stray away from the right path. When the Bible says to tr somebody has transgressed, or we use the word somebody has transgressed, we mean the person has moved from the right path. For your lips to transgress 
it means that your words have strayed or moved off the right path. Your words have transgressed. There is a path your words must follow. But your words have moved from that path. For there to be a path, there must also always be a pathfinder. So if the Bible says your words must follow a path, it means somebody went ahead of you and created a path. That person is Jehovah. When God speaks to you, his words create a path for you. If he says he wants to bless you, he's created a path of blessing for you. If he says he wants to heal you, he's created a path of healing for you. If he says you'll be the head and not the tail, he's created a path for you to be the head. Now what you do with your words is that your words follow in that path. But when your words begin to say things that are opposite of the path God has created, the Bible calls it the transgression of your lips. Your lips have stepped out of the path that God has for us. And when you do that, you transgress from the path, you fall into a trap and you are ensnared by your lips. Many times, words we speak constantly, phrases we use about ourselves, about our condition, about our situation, create traps for us. And we fall into those traps and we get ensnared. But just as your words can lead you into a trap, your words can also get you out of that trap. Your words can get you out of trouble. So he says in the same psalm, he says, but the righteous will come through trouble. The righteous, instead of falling into a trap, comes out of trouble. Your words can get you into a trap. Your words can get you out of the trap. When we are realign ourselves with God's word and speak his words, instead of our fears, we can take ourselves out of the trap we have fallen into. Many of the conditions of our lives were prophesied by us. Many of the things we're going through, we declared we will go through. We said it. We complained about it. We declared it and we fell into that trap. But words can also bring us out of the trap. The third thing you learn from that verse is that words can bring you good things. Just as words can ensnare us in a trap, words can also satisfy our lives with good things. Words can bring deliverance to us. Words can bring salvation to us. We receive Jesus into our hearts with words. We got born again by words. We said a prayer. We invited Jesus into our hearts and he came in. That's words. Words bring us salvation. The gospel message is a word. Words can move mountains. Words can turn our negative situation around. I'm going to take you to look at a picture of the influence of words and how people can say things sometimes carelessly and get into trouble because of what they said. Turn with me to the book of Exodus. First we'll see the positive and then we'll see the negative. 
The book of Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. This is when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and uh, commissioned Moses to go and get Israel out of Egypt. I want you to pay close attention to what God says because we're going to parallel it with some another thing later on in the book of Numbers. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. God said, I have seen, I've identified your problems. I've seen it. He said, I've heard your cry. He said, I know what you're going through. And then he says, I have come to deliver you. And he gives them two promises, two things he was going to do for them. First, he said he would deliver them from the hand of the enemy. He will give them freedom from bondage. He will set them free from their oppressors. That's the first thing God promised them. I will deliver you from the hand of the Egyptians. Why? Because your cry has come to me. Your cry has come to me. We are not really sure whether this cry was in the form of a conscious prayer. Whether they went to the temple and prayed, I don't think that is what was happening. But as Israel was going through trouble, they would cry, oh, God save us. God redeem us. Oh God have mercy. Oh God deliver us. Oh one day God set us free. That was their cry. And they spoke those words constantly. When somebody whipped their back, they would say, God will deliver us one day. We will be out of this land. We'll be free from this land. They kept saying that. We will be free. God will deliver us. God will set us free. And that became their national cry. It was their confession. They said it over and over and over and over. Anytime they were in trouble, they cried, God will save us. If they were punished, they said, God will send a deliverer. God has promised us a land. One day we'll get to our land. That was their cry. They said it, and the Bible says God heard it. God said, I've heard. Many times, you know, the words we speak, they don't have to go and be, be prayers, you know, like you, you clasp your two hands together uh, in the form of the steeple of a church. And, uh, and then lift up your eyes to the skies and, and pray, Oh God, our Heavenly Father, I come to you today as a humble servant. Have mercy on me. That's prayer. But even when we don't put our hands together in a formal prayer sense, as we cry to God constantly about a situation, He hears us. Our words are heard by God. And so as they cry, God save us. God deliver us. One day we'll be free. One day we'll get to a land that God says, I heard their cry. He didn't even say their prayer. Their cry. 
the words that was coming out of them. Sometimes in anger, sometimes in pain, sometimes in frustration, but they cried to God. God says, I've heard and I will deliver them. The second thing God promised them was that he will give them an inheritance, a promised land that flows with milk and honey, a land of abundance. So they cried to God and God heard. And he says, I'm going to give you freedom from the Egyptians who oppress you. And not only that, I'm going to give you a land and the land will not be an empty land. It will be a land of abundance because it's going to be flowing with milk and honey. Two promises of God. Now we know that when God speaks a word, it's a command. And when God speaks a word, it creates a path. So the moment God said, I would set them free, it means he had created a path for their freedom. I'll give them an inheritance. He had created the path. Remember, the lips of the transgressor trespasses, of the wicked trespasses from the path. God laid the path for their deliverance. God laid the path for their prosperity. God laid the path for their inheritance. When God speaks a word, he's not making a suggestion. It's a command and it's got creative power. So God heard these and true to his word, he delivered them from the hand of the oppressors. He set them free. So the first part of the promise is fulfilled. Now they come out of Egypt, go through the Red Sea, camp to the wilderness, and God is ready to do part two. Part one, set them free from the oppressors. Part two, give them an inheritance. So he sends, tells Moses, send some people to go and see the land I'm going to give them. He didn't say, go and see the land to see whether I can give it to you or not. Say, go and see the land that I say I will give to you. I've created a path for you to inherit the land. So Moses sent 12 people. And they were quite a good bunch. Selected from all the tribes. 12 of them. They went. They saw the land. They were not to express an opinion. They were just to come and say, we've seen the land. The land that God says uh, is ours. We've seen it. And that's it. Whether they can take it or not, that's up to God. Go see the land. Go and inspect the property. It's like I, I tell you, I want, I want to give you a car. Go check the car out. Go and see the car. It's outside. Then you go see the car and you come back and you say, I don't think you'll give this car to me. But I said I'll give to you. Go see the car. You come and you see the car. It's nice. I don't know what's the nicest car in, in Ghana now, but whatever is the nicest car, that's it. And it's fully loaded. And you look at the car and you say, I've just seen the car. It's too nice. I don't think you mean it. I don't think you'll give it to me. So that's what the Israelites did. They went. They saw the land. They came back. And the majority, that's why the majority must always... We must look at the majority carefully because it's not always right. 
We saw the land. It is as God says. It is flowing with milk and honey. We've even brought the fruit of the land. Everybody see. Then they rendered a commentary. But we are not able. We are not able. Now that is 10 people speaking. But when they said, we are not able, the whole nation also spoke and said, we are not able. Only two people, Joshua and Caleb, said, we are able. So look at what happens in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. I want you to see the parallel between this and Exodus. In Exodus, God heard their cry and delivered them. And we'll see what happens in Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, it says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And all the people wept that night. Almost like the same thing that happened in Egypt is happening now in the, in the wilderness. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. There are two places they said they wish they had died. In Egypt and the wilderness. Obviously, they couldn't die in Egypt because they have come out of it. So the only option left to them is the second one they prescribed. If only we had died in this wilderness. Verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? That's a transgression. The lips of the wicked man transgresses it. <laughs> 